Happy church, I welcome you back to your seats. It is that time to get started. All right, uh, we, as I've been saying, we are still uh, lingering in Resurrection Sunday. It is the afternoon and it will be the very first time Christians congregate on a Sunday. And with that, we see the purposes of God for the church in the first place. And so some really good insights for us as we go to the Lord now in prayer. Father God, we acknowledge that this word that we're looking at, it is not, it does not have its origin from earth. It didn't come from any man, but you breathed from heaven, the Holy Spirit into the holy men of old who were carried along by the Holy Spirit, who who wrote and spoke as the Spirit of God gave them utterance. And so what we have among us is living and sent to go into where our spirits and our souls divide to do the work that only God could do. And so we're all ears. God, open us up uh, to hear what your Spirit is saying to each one of us. God, comfort our hearts, correct, and teach us and Equip us to do your work. In Christ's name, amen. amen. According to the headlines last week in the LA Times, maybe you saw it, it's okay now to go back to church. <laughs> the California Department of Public Health issued this statement, and I quote, effective immediately, capacity limits on places of worship are no longer mandatory. Well, that's nice of them to grant permission to resume something that God never gave us permission to stop doing in the first place. Can I get an amen? Amen. Whoa. (laughs) That about bowled me over. Well, there's a good reason why the Lord never suspended the command for his people to gather together. Uh, I'm not saying there was never a place for modifications in a crisis or common sense precautions, but to refrain and to be ordered to cease from singing praises to God and assembling as his people, no can do, because we have a command from the Lord not to forsake the gathering together but to do so more and more as we see the day approaching. That's a quote from Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 25. And so what is God so intent on having his people meet together? Well, the assembly of God's people, as we saw last time, and we'll see again this morning in our text before us, The congregation is by God's design. It is the life flow, the source, the heartbeat, the point of contact for God and his people, the epicenter of the gospel. And there is no Christianity without the assembled church. There is no, from God's point of view, there is no individual believer apart from the context of their part in the whole of the assembly of the body of Christ. So when you become a Christian, you immediately, by definition, biblically, are part of the assembled ones. And the hand cannot say to the foot, nor the eye say to the the mouth, you know, I have no need of being assembled to you, because a part of the body of Christ that doesn't assembly is dead. And so this is how important it is, and why God never gave an exemption clause to meeting for 3,400 years. 3,400 years. 
the Jewish people of God, the congregation of the Lord, as it's called, met for 1,400 years on a Saturday in compliance to a commandment, one of the ten, number four, to set this day aside for him because it's the life flow. It's the source. It's where we meet him. It's where we're empowered. And then, not skipping one week, on Resurrection Sunday, they gathered for the very first Christian service, if you will, and they gathered the following Sunday. And so the, the one day, the Sabbath, the Saturday, went to Sunday without skipping one week. There was no suspension. There was no grace period. Hey, you know, we're going from Old Testament to New Testament. No, it was pretty seamless. <laughs> it went from Saturday and now the following Sunday and then that following Sunday and it became the first day of the week, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 1, the first day of the week, or it was called the Lord's Day. And that is when <laughs> most of the church was Jewish at the time. The Jewish Christians now ceased from Saturday and went to Sunday. And now for 2,000 years and counting all the way without ceasing until this Sunday. 3,400 years where the people of God are called together for the source of our lives is in the assembly where always Jesus will be revealed. He reveals himself in the assembly. The power of the Holy Spirit breathes into us, renews us, and brings us to, to life. And we're taught the word of God and equipped to do his service. That's what we're going to see this morning. And so we're going to park at in the upper room. Uh, last week we made it from the road to Emmaus to the upper room where the church was gathered for the first Sunday service ever. Now we're going to go and join the service and walk through it and see because it is really a prophetic kind of prototype of what all church congregations were meant to be. So you see in it God's heart for his people, what he wants to happen when we assemble in the name of the Lord. We see it right there. So a little context, and then we'll dive into that first church service. Uh, you will recall last week, if you were with us, that it was Resurrection Sunday, and not one of Jesus' followers believed that he would rise. They were devastated. Their worlds were turned upside down. They were in fear and unbelief. And two of them, two of the followers, really not the famous disciples, but two of them were walking home, you recall, to Emmaus from Jerusalem when they have an encounter, a close encounter of the divine kind. Jesus incognito pulls up alongside and just kind of pulls out of them their problems and their sadness and their woe, and he changes their unbelief to full-on faith and their sadness to complete joy. And when he's revealed to them, they hightail it for Jerusalem to the upper room where the church has assembled. There there's probably about 100. We know there's about 120 of them on the day of Pentecost. So around 100 of Christ's followers have congregated in fear, a lot of doubts. Their worlds, like I said, have been uh, disrupted and unsettled. And so when the two Guys come from Emmaus, they bust through the doors of the uh, upper room with the story about how they're walking along, and little do they know the risen Lord was there talking to them. While they're telling them the story, this happened. So while they're still talking and saying, man, Jesus just appeared and he's talking, we didn't even recognize him. And even though the doors were locked, John adds, because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders so the upper room, doors barred, shut. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled, I'll say, and, and frightened, and the word there's upset and undone, thinking they saw a ghost. They said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. In the Greek, he said, I am. Beautiful, I am. That is the title for God. He says, uh, look at my hands and my feet. It is I, I am. 
touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and bone, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet, and John adds his side as well, where it was pierced. And while they still did not believe because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything to eat here? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's going to be fun to talk about. Verse 42, they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate it in their presence. Like, see, guys, look, nothing to worry about. He said to them, this is what I told you. While I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that's written about me in the law of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, the prophets, the, uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Malachi, and the Psalms. You know them. That's the whole Old Testament Bible is meant by that. And then he also, and John Mark tells us he reproached them. He, he, he gave them a verbal uh, spanking uh, for their unbelief and hardness of heart because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. The Marys, there's three of them, and not the mother of the Lord, Mary, but three other Marys, went and told those disciples. We saw an angel. He said he was alive. And one of them had seen him already, but the guys didn't believe, so he had to kind of say, Peter, James, John, what's up with you guys? Uh, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and John adds, breathing on them, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he tells them, this is what's written. Here's the message. Here's where we go forward, guys. The Christ, the Messiah, the Savior had to suffer, die for the sins of the world, and then rise from the dead on the third day, And here's the message, repentance so you could be forgiven your sins. That needs to go out to the whole world. We'll start here, and then we'll bring it to every nook and cranny. Uh, Verse 48, you're my witnesses of all of this. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, the Holy Spirit, right? And stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. What a phrase, to be clothed with power from heaven. How many of you, sounds, that sounds like a good thing. <laughs> I thought so. Amen. Let's get situated here. This is a very big deal. First words of our risen Lord officially to the congregation of his people. The first gathering, as I've been saying, of Christians on a Sunday. And that would continue there uh, until this very Sunday. And so by looking at this first church service, as I said, we're going to see what God has in mind for every single time we come together in the name of the Lord. I mean, what's the point? He has a reason for us to be here. And a lot of people have the wrong idea. And if you have the wrong idea, man, you're not going to get what God has because you're not uh, prepared for it. And so it's good for us to take a look at this. So when we gather on the Lord's Day, I see three things unfolding here. I'm sure more than that happens when he's here with us. But number one, first order of business, when the, when the congregation of the Lord meets together, Jesus quiets our hearts. Number one, he ministers to every person who has gathered according to the need he knows, because he knows everything, and the compassion on his heart, and the resources he has to comfort or to meet the need to settle you. That's number one. That's what he does when we come in. And then he also, of course, he course corrects us because there's the Holy Spirit and his truth is being revealed and the word is being taught. And so he corrects us and he teaches us. He opens our understanding to understand the word of God and his will for our lives. And so So, and then he wraps up, Jesus will always also equip us for service. He gives us something to do. You're saved to save. He comforts you to comfort. He gives to you so you can share. This is the way God thinks about what should happen in the congregation of the Lord. And so we're going to take a look at those 
three things as they occur here at that first gathering. So let's throw the verses up. And even though we just read those, I'm going to paraphrase them just to get them to go a little bit deeper, right? So that first verse, in the middle of all the clatter of tongues, Jesus appears in their midst with a smile and a big shalom. Verse 37, they're freaked out. They think he's a ghost. Verse 38, he asks them, what are you so panicked about? And second-guessing yourselves. 39, take a closer look. It's really me. I'm not a ghost. Ghosts don't have a body like clearly you see I have. Look at my scars. 41, they're overjoyed. They're ecstatic, but they're still in unbelief. So he says, got anything to eat? Verse 42, they hand him a piece of fish and they watch him take every bite and then swallow. They got to make sure. You know, and I wouldn't be surprised if he took a piece of fish, put it in his mouth, chewed it, swallowed it, and gone. See? <laughs> Look, I'm not a ghost. I'm the real deal. So let's uh, take point number one. His first order of business, when his people congregate, he settles us. Because what's the point of being here if you can't get over the big thing that's on your mind, the thing that's troubling you, and everybody comes in unsettled every single time? I do. I am always unsettled. And then the first order of business is that Jesus is revealed and the prayers start and the songs that are straight out of the living word of God. And then I'm like, oh, my hands start going up and my mind turns to him and I'm like, where are you? Where are you? I'm boom. Then suddenly, oh, my problems are starting to become smaller and my stress less because I'm in the presence and I feel him and he's ministering to us. This is what he does. He always did. Did he not do that when he was with them before his crucifixion? Look at where, what he does when he goes to a congregation, a synagogue. First order of business, who's hurting here? He pulls them out. The elderly lady bent over and burdened all her life by the devil, Jesus added. He straightens her up and eases her burden. The man who has a shriveled hand, he's paralyzed, he's handicapped, he can't do his job. The Lord says, I'm going to help you with strengthening you and relieving you. There's a crazy man in one of the pews. He's out of his mind. He's tormented by the evil one. And the Lord says, I got to go here. I got to settle these things. And we come in to his presence with undone things, unbroken things, difficult relationships, disappointments, threats to our happy little world. And the first order of business is let me help you with this. Let me give you peace there. And when he says peace, you think it's just shalom, a greeting? Nuh-uh. It's a command. Be at peace, says the Son of God, who greets his assembled people. It's a commandment. Stop letting your hearts be troubled. That's why he says, what is up with your panic and your unbelief and your doubting and your second guessing? Don't you understand that I'm here? I'm with you. I'm working everything out for your good. I'm your shepherd. I got this. If you parents know how to raise your kids and protect and provide for them, don't you think God knows how to do that? Right? And so we start to get ministered to in his presence. And he says, listen, and he asks a question that's really a statement, really. If the great I am is among you, and I'm here, and I'm your God, and I pay for your sins, I'm providing everything you need. The question is really a statement. Why are you panicked? I am giving you the lifeline, and you keep tossing it back? I keep saying, well, I got the answer. And you're saying, well, I'm not ready to let go of this yet. You know, He's like, what, what's wrong with you? I'm here. I got what you need. I know what you're going through. And through the first three songs, he's already addressed so many things that our minds have been concerned with. And if we cooperate and let him speak and do his work, then we receive the peace that he's trying to do. And that's his first job. That's what he cares about. 
When you come together, he's, this is his heart. He's the Psalm 23 guy. This is the Lord. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Do you not love that? He makes me. Why? Because I'm slow. I'm like all concerned. Oh, no. What if? Oh, no. This is terrible. And he goes, you know what? You're going to lie down right now. And he says, you know what? You, I'm going to take you down right now. You know, and he does, he makes us to lie down where in green, soft, clover, pastures, nourishing, walking beside quiet waters. He's the prince of peace, and he shows up. Hey, shalom, peace, be at peace. What did he say at that table 72 hours earlier? They're at the same table as the Last Supper 72 hours ago. He had said, I think I got the slide. My peace? Peace. He said this to them at the same table. They're sitting probably in the same places. My peace, I leave with you. My peace, the peace of God. What's the peace of God? It's mind-blowing because God knows no threats. What's God afraid of? What's God worried about? So he says, the peace that I have as God, as sovereign, almighty, most high God, I'll give it to you. Oh, you can't find it in the world. But I'll pass it along to you so that the peace that I enjoy, you can enjoy too. Well, why don't I have it? And the Lord would say, why don't you? That's a good question. Why didn't you ask yourself that? Because I'm giving it to you. It's available. Don't let your hearts be troubled. That's why he's saying, why are you doing this? Because you don't have to. You could go with the anxiety or you could go with faith and let your faith guide your feelings and not your feelings guide your faith. Amen? Amen. All right. Good, good. All right. And then the, uh, he, he goes on. He, uh, remember, at the table, he said, guys, listen, at that table, in a little while, you're not going to see me. And in a few hours that from then, in the morning, boom, he was crucified. And then he promised. And then in a little bit, you'll see me again. Here I am, at the same table where he said, you're going to see me again. And there he is. So he wants to know. Then why are you so upset? Why are you acting as if I'm not here and didn't give you promises? You have to embrace. You have to work with me. That's what I hear him saying. Work with me a little bit. Work with me. Just let me help you. <laughs> that kind of sounds kind of funny, like a therapist would say today. <laughs> but, um, he is the wonderful counselor, is he not? So we can go back to the text. And so, yeah. So he says, oh, what do you think? I'm a ghost. And what would he say to us today? Here's what he'd say to somebody who's sitting there as a Christian, still undone. He'd say, what do you, what do you think I am? A figment of your imagination? That's what he's saying. He's saying, uh, so look, look, touch, remember, gaze on me, focus on me. Those who stay their minds on God, he will keep in perfect peace. Isaiah 26, 3. That's the answer. Look at me, touch, touch, handle the promises. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Can you not remember who bailed you out the last time you were in trouble? Don't you? Why are you thinking this is a figment of your imagination? Suddenly, in this new set of circumstances, suddenly everything I ever did for you is a figment of your imagination? Don't you remember telling people, oh my word, check this out, a God thing happened to me? Do you remember that? Well, why does it go out the window? Because you have a new Goliath facing you. The same Goliath who went down in the name of the Lord is going down again. And proof of that is when we look at him. And the other important thing is the scars. Look at my scars. And he has scars in heaven. Revelation 13 and verse 5 says that they are in heaven glorified. Now, why does he retain the scars? Well, in a temporary sense, it was quite helpful to them. This is the same Jesus. This is an, an incarnation of the divine. This is me. <laughs> um, this is the same one who laid down my life and got the spikes through here. Here, it's me, right? He's changed. He's more handsome. He was not handsome before. 
It was ordinary looking, the Bible says, which of course makes perfect sense. Now he's, he's a good looking. He's, he's fairly attractive. He's like stunning. When you see him, you're going to go, wow. <laughs> That's a 10. All right. <laughs> and the funny thing about it is you're going to be a 10 too. 100% with your body, your resurrected body. When he comes for the church, listen to me. You will be with him in your spiritual bodies, absent from the body, present with him, waiting if you die before the rapture. But on rapture day, your body, wherever it is, that body, your body, the same body, will be <laughs> at the sound of a bell, <laughs> raised up with him, perfected and beautiful and glorified in all of this. You know, so helpful and all, but, but for me, that, that his scars remain in heaven will tell me all the time, I'm safe. I am assured of his love. It is a, a trophy. It's a trophy of, of what he did to conquer death and sin and the devil, man. Those, those are badges of honor. And so he uses them there in an effective way. And so I want to note before going on, in verse 41, surprisingly, ecstatic joy in spiritual ways did not help them with their unbelief. Yeah, no, just like some churches, let's name one in Reading, Bethel Church, that is emotion-based. So much so, they start talking, they get so excited, and then they start seizing, right? It is not in accordance with knowledge. Zeal for God. Oh, I'm so excited about what the Spirit of God is doing. I'm like overjoyed. And he says, that. yeah, no, didn't help him a bit. It needs to be guided by his truth, grounded by his word and guarded by what's biblically acceptable uh, and the standard of the word of God. That, that has to happen. That's a beautiful little passage to say, yes, be exuberant, of course, but let it be done decent and in order and according to the scriptures linked to the knowledge of the word of God. Amen. Uh, right, and so, uh, yeah, he pulls him back into orbit now as we're kind of getting ready to blast into the second thing he does, but uh, he's comfort comforting them by saying, let me take a piece of fish, and really, this is more than just let me show you that I can chew, taste, and swallow. It's more, commentators suggest, of an invitation to join him, let's eat together, because there's nothing that settles people down like sharing a meal in the presence of God. Christian memorial services, what do we do after we are grieving? We sit down, we share a meal. There's something about it that settles them. And this is what he said, I'm here. You have nothing to fear. I'm giving you peace. Let's share a meal together. Everything's okay. And the other reason why they're flipped out of their minds is because they all feel guilty. Like you come to church after a week and you know you, you fell short just like they did and that's why they're on edge. At that table, 72 hours before, they all said, we're with you to the end. Let someone come near you. We're going to be loyal right to the end. And he says, truly, truly, I tell you, you're all going to leave me high and dry. Every last one of you will abandon me. I'm not alone. The Father's with me, but you, you're all going to forsake me. So here he is at the same table where he said, you're all going to leave me high and dry. And there they are. And there he shows up. Here I am. So they're like, <laughs> oh, hi. <laughs> and they want him, they think in their hearts, he's going to come at them, you know, not say peace, but like, please, really, huh? Can we spell the word abandon? You know, what, what? Yeah, no, 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 no. And that's what happens every time you come in. You're like, should I even be here today after what I said and the fight we had in the car on the way here? You are the guys are the only ones who've ever fought on the way to church, by the way. <laughs> that's the most stressed 
time of our lives with the kids in the back and everybody's throwing shoes and uh, bidding and biting and all of this and you get out of the car and somebody says, how's it going? And you're like, praising the Lord. <laughs> and then you get in here and you just start feeling like, oh, am I even saved? How can, you know? And that's how they were feeling. And he says, peace. I know you are but dust. I know how you were made. I know how you were up and down and two steps forward, three steps back. I got this. It's called grace and mercy. Let's move on. He settles us, doesn't he? And then the next thing he does, it's time to nourish us with the word. So it's time to course correct us because we come in as like being at the chiropractor, spiritually speaking. You come in out of alignment, you come in walking like this, and he says, lay down on the table. And then he puts you into some kind of twisted pretzel, and and then he just leans on you, and you hear... And then you're like, it hurt at the time, but you get up off of that table like you leave church. Oh, ah feel better, right? Because that has to happen. If that doesn't happen, like a lot of churches, where you're just supposed to feel good, you come in twisted, you leave twisted. Because we're not going to hurt you. We're just going to tell you, you look good twisted. (laughs) And, And God made us to be twisted. And he applauds us in our twistedness. Right? No, no, no. That's not the message. He comes, and he, he comes to step on toes. Oh, I've had my toes. I, while I'm talking to you, oh, my word. I'm, I, first of all, I've had to be under it for a few days before you even heard it. So God's already crushed my little toes. And so, yeah, it's called conviction, and that's what he's doing. He's saying, uh, I'm, listen. Yeah, so let's see the reason starting 3,400 years ago why he wanted us to get together. Uh, Deuteronomy 31, verse 12. Assemble the people, Moses, men, women, children, the strangers, residing in your towns so they can listen and learn to revere, to see God as a serious, awesome thing, and follow carefully all the words of this law. This is a major reason we gather together as the people of God to hear his heart, to know his mind, to know who he is, to know who we are in the context of being created by him, for him, to do his business. We wouldn't know, why am I even here if I don't know why I was created to be here? How can you ever find satisfaction if you don't know even why God created you in the first place? And so... That's what he's saying. The ministry of teaching happens every time the people of God get together. And I love what it says in Deuteronomy 12. You need to do those things because so that it may go well with you. We've moved on to the second point, by the way. Thank you. So that it may go well with you. So you need to listen and revere the word of the Lord and make sure you carefully follow it so that it will go well with you. God's not like this some kind of tyrant dictator up there, my way or the highway. He's like, hey, listen, there's a way that leads to life, and there's a wrong way in a fallen world, and I don't want you to be destroyed. I want you to have life for you and your kids. So he says, listen carefully, congregate, because that's where the Spirit of God is revealed. That's where Christ is always assembled. And that's where the teaching of the Word of God occurs. That's how it has always happened. And so, yeah, God has called us according to, let me show you, Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave apostles and prophets. Apostles and prophets are offices that are no no longer. Because it says... God used the apostles and prophets to lay the foundation of the church. Oh, the foundation's been laid. So the offices, their functions continue. Those offices have been done. The foundation's been laid. So it's not really biblically proper to call somebody a prophet or an apostle because their job, the office, 
has been completed. However, we continue with evangelists who were really a lot like apostles because it means to be on the move, missionaries. Pastors are the shepherds and the teachers, and all these words are sometimes used together to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so that's the job. That's what's going on. That's why you have a pastor. And if you don't have a pastor, you don't have a church. You don't have the church meeting. In every place there was a church in the New Testament, there was an elder, which is can be used pastor. So if there's no, you can have a Bible study where God can do amazing things, but you won't have church. You need to have a God-called, gifted man in the pulpit to do the thing that God has placed him to do for the congregation of the Lord. And so that's part of what's going on now for the last 2,000 years, so that men, women, children, foreigners residing in our towns can come and listen and learn to fear the Lord our God and to follow carefully everything he's commanded. And notice that, notice that uh, the Holy Spirit gets mentioned here because he's the one who takes these concepts and brings them home. As I said earlier, down deep where spirit and soul meet and divide. That's an amazing thing that only God can do. This isn't a lecture time. This isn't a presentation. This is nothing like that. This is a supernatural gathering where God is among his people. Christ is revealed. The Holy Spirit's alive and acting and cutting into people's souls and spirits with his two-edged sword called the living word to take things out that need to be out to put things in that need to be put in, it's supernatural. It's not like getting up and saying, hey, let's read a passage from Shakespeare. Mm, I'm sorry, it might be pretty. Not going to do anything in here of eternal significance. The congregation of the Lord is where eternal, supernatural, mystical, if you will, miraculous happens. I cannot tell you how many times somebody, I just, hundreds and hundreds of times somebody will say, oh my word, <laughs> we were having a conversation in the car about the text and we didn't know what you were going to preach on. Or, or a guy comes to me before he, he's in the lobby and he says, oh man, I'll tell you what, my life is like, you know the, the disciples when they go out on the boat and the storm is rocking them around. Little does he know, that's the passage. And he's telling me this. This is a supernatural gathering where God is at work. And this is what Jesus is, is saying here. Listen, everything had to happen according to the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then when Jesus is here, the Holy Spirit's here, the word is, then he corrects us and says, you know, hey, about this attitude or about your marriage, uh, or, uh, you know, I, the word starts talking about being other-centered and you realize, whoops, whoops on that. So you course correct. But can you imagine not sitting in church where weekly you get course corrected, how far one can drift. If I'm not in church for two weeks, I notice a difference. I just notice a difference. The default mechanism in my sinful heart is fallen nature. And I will always go back. But when I'm in the presence of his people and the presence of the Holy Spirit and Christ is revealed and the living word is being exposited, oh, man, I'm called up. I'm corrected. I'm put right. I was aiming the wrong way. And he goes, well, no, over here, over here. And every time. You know, I have a Catholic friend who goes here now. And uh, he's new. And he said, Pastor Ross, I used to go into church one way and leave the same way. No change, nothing. I just go in and come out the same way, but that doesn't happen here. I come, why? Because the Spirit is alive and he's working and the Word of God is busting forth and getting in there and grabbing a hold of us and making a difference, right? I don't want to get up early and go anywhere to hear some guy talk about how to make lemonade when life gives you lemons. I really don't, really. I myself prefer Arnold Palmer's to begin with. And, uh, 
The angels are present when we're here. The angels worship with the congregation. Did you know that? First Corinthians chapter 11. This isn't just the rotary club. The scriptures, and, and then he breathes on us, he enables us. And so, by the way, he doesn't just enable you to understand last verse. The Holy Spirit just comes upon us. The one who, ena- the one who commands enables. So I, what I'm trying to say is that he doesn't just command. He enables by the word. And so, funny thing, when you go to do, just like when he told the guy with the withered hand, Stretch forth your hand. I could just hear the guy say, uh, Jesus, <laughs> if I could stretch forth my hand, I would have done it a long time ago. You know? No, no, I'm telling you to do something that you can't do without me. So because I'm asking you to do it, he who's commanding you to do it will supply the enablement to see it through. So he's, he's like, okay, I've never done this before. How do I stretch forth a hand that's never worked? You know? Will you do it in faith? Because he said to do it. So this is how we get course corrected. It's like he says, stop watching that, gentlemen. You're a Christian. Those who commit immorality are not going to heaven. Stop it. And you're like, oh, I wish I could. I do. I have stopped. And then I start again. And it's like, how can I do it? Because I've been like this all my life, ever since I was 13. Just stop talking. Listen to the voice. He says, stop doing it. And then just say, okay, I guess that means I can stop doing it. He who commands. Peter, come on out of the boat. Okay, because you say so. I mean, he did ask. He wants to do it. But he would have drowned if Jesus didn't say, come on. Jesus is looking at you today on that thing that went through your head. And he's saying, come on. Let's fix this. Oh, you no, no, you would drown. But I'm on you right now. I'm telling you that now's your time. Do it. Come on. You see what church is like? You see, this is church. And you can't get this on your couch watching TV. Amen? Yeah. Moving on. Last paragraph there. There we go. There it is. I knew it was here somewhere. And then here's the paraphrase. He tells them. So here's what the Bible has always said. This is nothing new, guys. If you would have known the Old Testament, your Bible, Messiah had to suffer, be raised from the dead on day number three. And here's the message that will be preached from here in Jerusalem to the entire world. Turn to God and be forgiven. Turn away from sin. That's what repentance means. I had a Christian friend once. He, he he's no longer embraces the faith. He's progressive. Now, he said he'll never tell another human being to repent. I said, that's too bad, because that's the message. The risen Lord in the congregation tells his people, I want you to bring a message, and here's the message. Since I'm the source of the message, and I'm commander-in-chief, and I'm telling you what to say, how dare you say, well, I'll never say that. Repentance just means to change a heart, turn, to do a U-turn. So that you have faith that you're wrong, God's right, and you turn around, face him, boom, you're saved. And then you're reconciled to God and forgiven of your sins. He says, that's the message. Start there. Christ, him crucified for your sins so you can be reconciled. He made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become right with God. That's your message. Not, hey, God will make you happy. God will give you what you need or want. Though sometimes he does, right? That's not the message. The, men- the message from God's point of view is you're headed for a Christless eternity. But there's a way to turn and be spared from the wrath of God, from the grave, from the second death. That's the message. That's the message here. And he says, your witnesses, meaning, listen, <laughs> who better to speak a word to somebody who's headed down the wrong path than somebody who was on that path, ran into the reality and the experience of the risen Savior, has proof 
in their own change of heart and their own change of life and answers to prayer and all of that, who better to witness all of that and then testify as in a court of law to the person who's perishing from somebody who was in the same shark-infested waters. So he pulls you out. The shark is like, just missed you. You're on the boat. You're safe. And now he says, hey, man, hey, look around you. Look around you. There's something going on here. They're perishing. So he's equipping us when we meet to be sent out. How does he equip us? First of all, he reminds us of their destiny. Because we came in here, we weren't thinking about the, your spouse who's not a believer or your son or your coworker. You weren't. I wasn't. But when you congregate, he reminds you, this is how he equips us to do his service. He reminds you, he who has the son has life. He who doesn't have the son, quoting Jesus, he who doesn't have the son shall not see life for the wrath of God abides on him. Whoa. Well, if that's true, and I just heard it in the congregation of the assembly, and God took that by the Holy Spirit and put it in my heart, well, now, tomorrow at work, I remember the coworker. My word. All I think is they're kind of annoying and it's hard to deal with them, right? Instead, now you're going to sit there and go, ignore the behavior and look to the need. And God, you start, God, please do something. Give me an opportunity. And now see, you've been equipped. Now, you know, tomorrow, if God wants you to, if it seems right to him, there's going to be a situation tomorrow where you are going to be equipped to be open at least, to care about at least, to be aware that there's somebody in your reach that the Bible says snatch them from the flames. Jude verse 23. That's what it says. In James chapter 5, he says, turn a sinner from their error, from death. You will save him from death, is the quote. This is how he equips us. And then he teaches us how to always have an answer prepared for those who ask us about the hope. Or how do we shine our lights so that others may see and glorify God and come to him? How do we fish for men? We, we don't know, right? Well, first of all, you've got to realize that they need to be caught. And then how to go about that is why we're here. That's the most important thing to God. The most important thing to God is that a soul not perish. And that's why the most important thing about the gospel and the church congregation is to equip us to have that hot and heavy on our hearts so that wherever you go while you're doing your thing and we all have businesses and things to do, in the midst of your thing, you're not forgetting the overarching theme of our lives is to snatch them out, to do our part, we don't always do it in the same way. We're extroverted or introverted. Um, but he has a way of using all of us when we understand that that's the job we need to do. You know, uh, wherever you're at. Uh, we had uh, a woman come up because she's been to church. She goes to church, so she gets stirred up like this. So she, started, she, her, she has a caretaker. She has a helper in the home. And she said, well, I started thinking, I wonder if she knows the Lord. She didn't. So she said, can I read the Bible with you? So they started reading the Bible. And now she's telling me, she's emailing me, pray for me. I'm reading my Bible with my caretaker. And she's interested. And then uh, she said, oh, I'm going to invite her to church. Pastor Ross, pray. And then she invited her to church. And then she comes up to me and she says, she got a lot of questions. Go over there. <laughs> So I go over there, and she had a lot of questions. And they were good ones, right? And I answered the questions. Then she tells me, she comes up to me two weeks ago, and she says, uh, she says, she told me, if you ask for hands today, she's going to raise her hand. So I said, gee whiz, I wonder what I should do. <laughs> so I asked for hands, and boom, there it was. It went up, right? Yeah. So 
Last week, that was two weeks ago, last week, another woman who comes to the congregation of the Lord where Jesus is revealed, the Holy Spirit, the word is working, and boom, she gets a compassion for a coworker. She understands, oh, this coworker is important to God and is perishing. So the coworker said something about how, what a hard life she's having. She might be here today. Uh, and uh, our gal says to her, you should come to the rock. You should come to church. You should meet the Lord Jesus. And she said to me in the aisle, she said, I was thinking when she said that, you know, what better time to meet Jesus than now? <laughs> first time in her life. First time in her life at church. Last week, she comes up. She was the one who raised her hand. I don't know if it was this service or which service it was. I get them all confused. And uh, she comes up to me and she says, made perfect sense. It's exactly, I'm, my whole life has kind of prepared me for everything you said. Boom, I'm in. I'm in. You want to pray with me? How does it work? You know, so. <laughs> I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, this is why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. She's not going to hell forever. Now, simply because one person from this uh, the congregation got stirred up because we got equipped, and she went out and she did it, and God uh, worked through her heart and life, and and through all of us. You all have stories about how God is using you as well. This is the congregation of the Lord, where Jesus is revealed, the Holy Spirit is given, where we are comforted and settled in our hearts. We are quieted in his love. We're convicted and corrected and taught, and then we're equipped to go out and save. Let's pray together. Father God, we look to you now. Thank you for being here, that we don't have to endure a lecture, but we can be in the presence of the living God when you do your work. Continue to seal the work now. A lot was said, a lot of... You made a lot of inroads in our hearts and minds, so help those ways to flourish with new life, to be effective and productive for you. And don't let the birds of the air come and pick up the seeds that were sown that are life-changing today if they germinate. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rock's podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.